0: We'll also want to welcome you today to First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, If we have not met, my name is David and I serve as a senior pastor here. Uh, And thank you for being here, uh, thank you for allowing me the chance uh, to share with you. As we gather in worship uh, this weekend, we are certainly thinking about uh, those down south, those affected uh, by Hurricane Harvey. I want to lift up to you just ways in which uh, you can respond, I share this with you because I know you. I know who you are, I know how your heart is, I know uh, your desire to serve serve and support those uh, in need. And so specifically, I want to share uh, this website address with you. Uh, The two things that we often do in the immediate uh, aftermath of a storm like Harvey or any sort of uh, relief effort is sharing cleaning buckets and health kits. Uh, And if you would like to help us by putting together a cleaning bucket or a health kit, you can find all that you need for that uh, at this website. This is on my blog, uh, forward slash Harvey Relief. Uh, And I also want you to know, as you think about uh, putting those together, uh, 300 of those cleaning buckets have already been sent to the Austin area uh, from our church family. Those were, uh, that was basically our inventory prior to uh, this weekend. So thank you already for the generosity that made that available so that we could have it there uh, heading that way uh, right now. So we continue to pray. Uh, There will be additional things that we As a church will do, additional needs that will be made uh, available to us and known to us uh, in the days and weeks ahead, and as those come, uh, we will certainly uh, be uh, be sharing those with you. Uh, Tonight, what I want to invite you to do, uh, or today, what I want to invite you to do is to turn to uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can find Acts chapter 2 in the blue Bible that we have provided for you on page 1693. Acts 2 actually begins on 1691, but what I'm going to read to you uh, begins on page 1693. If you on a regular basis hear me uh, say that and you think, well, that's going to be on the screen, though, go ahead and pull that Bible out today, because we're going to look at several things uh, as in, in the book of Acts uh, as we move through today's message, continuing this series called This Is Us. We're looking at uh, five core values that define us as a church family, and we believe should define any Anyone who has said yes to following Jesus. And so what I want to do first is just review what we've already talked about in this series. uh, Because these are values that we want to be well known within our community of faith. Uh, And so I'm going to invite you to actually read these with me as we go through them. So here's the first one. Let's share this together. Shared lives lead to change lives. That's the first value we talked about. If you want to grow spiritually, you must be connected relationally. Here's number two you <laughs> Everyone has a next step, regardless of your age or life stage or how long you've been walking with Jesus, whether this is a brand new commitment, whether this is one that has defined your life for decades, we believe that everyone has a next step of faith. Last week we talked about this one, followers of Jesus help others follow Jesus. Not something that some of us do, but it's what we all do. We are called to follow Jesus and in our followers of Him, be people who are willing to help others follow Jesus. And I want to show you up front what our value is for today. Let's read this together. Living like Jesus means living generously. Now I wanted to tell you that up front because I want you to hear this. We will not be passing the offering plate again today, okay? We're going to talk about generosity But we're not going to pass the offering plate again, and we're not going to ask you to fill out a commitment card for the mission and ministry that we share here this fall. That's not what today is about. And I want to share that with you up front, because some may wonder, or some may think, that the only reason the church would talk about generosity is because they're about to pass the offering plate again, or because they're thinking about supporting the mission and ministry of the church. And here's what I want you to hear up front. That's important. That is important because what we do as a church family, we do together. Together in the sacrifices that we share, the, 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 the extent of ministry that we are able to offer not only to those who connect here and we are seeking the disciple into deeper relationship with Jesus, but also everything we do to support others around the world. We all do that together. We all, in in our shared sacrifice, do those things. But as we talk about generosity today, what I want you to think about is if someone came and said, for everything that you want to do, I'm going to write that one check, we'd still talk about generosity. Generosity. And, and in today's message, I want, I want to make the connection for you uh, as far as why that is. We're going to look at, from the biblical historical perspective, we're going to look at this value at work in the first uh, communities of those who uh, became followers of Jesus. And from that biblical perspective, we're going to, we're going to talk about why we believe this is still a value that, that, that defines us, not, not only as a church, but as followers of Jesus today. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 2. And let me tell you first that Acts chapter 2 is a very important chapter in the book of Acts. A lot of really important things happen in Acts chapter 2. You may remember from several weeks ago. We've talked about what happens in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus commissions the disciples. He sends them forth. He is about to ascend to the Father, and he's sending them forth to do uh, the, the work he's called them to do, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. He says to them, stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And at the beginning of chapter 2, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes. Those first disciples of Jesus are empowered, specifically Peter, standing up in Jerusalem about a month after the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter stands up and declares Jesus the crucified and resurrected Savior, Messiah, the one uh, that the Jewish people had been waiting on. And if you look, uh, I believe it's verse 41, uh, you see there the results of Peter's uh, first sermon. This is you might think of this as the first public Christian worship service. Verse forty-one. About three thousand were added to the church that day. So this is like. Very good day for preacher, okay, for, for Peter here. He got 3,000. But, but I want you to see what we're gonna look at, at beginning in verse 42. This is a summary statement of the church at this very, very early stage uh, of our life. It says this, they, the people who uh, had committed their lives to Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, So you get to the end of this really important chapter where these incredible things have happened. And here's just kind of a summary of, this is what this early community was all about. This is what they were doing together. This is how they were sharing life with one another. Flip over with me now to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter 4, we're moving forward a little bit in in the story of what's happened in the early church. Uh, In between Acts 2 and Acts chapter 4, the leaders of this new movement, not surprisingly, get themselves in trouble with the same people who caused trouble for Jesus. But again, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we have another kind of summary statement about this new community and how they thought about themselves. The believers were in one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and placed it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again, another uh, statement of what this new community was all about how they were living out their life together, and how they were taking care of the needs. of their uh, their community. Uh, Turn now to Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11. And in between Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 11, let me just show you what has happened. So remember what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So visually here, Jerusalem's way down here, okay, and Judea would have been this area about as big as my hand. Okay? Samaria would have been the area north, uh, up, extending up into modern-day Syria. And by the end of the book of Acts, we're going to find the message of Jesus finding its way all the way over here beyond the map to Rome, to the ends of the earth. Over the course of Acts, we see the movement of the gospel all, all throughout this area surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. But in Acts chapter 11, we found ourselves here in Antioch, okay? So the message that will eventually, by the end of the book, get all the way over here by Acts chapter 11, it's reached here in the area of Samaria, uh, the area that was filled with people who were known as Gentiles. Now, real quickly, Gentiles were basically people who had not been raised as Jews, And if you recall, the early church uh, in the the very beginning, go back to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, those were all Jews who claimed faith in Jesus. One of the most significant controversies in the early church was uh, for the Jewish community, those who had been raised Jews and who had claimed faith in Jesus. Does this church have room? Does God even want the Gentiles to come into this new community that is being formed around the lordship of Jesus? And it was a big deal. From Acts chapter 4 to Acts chapter 11, the church has been wrestling with this and trying to figure out how how big is this new community of faith really supposed to be? Uh, during this time, there's also a man named Saul who is persecuting Christians. Uh, he experiences a conversion. Uh, he becomes a follower of Jesus, comes to Jerusalem. He meets the disciples, and eventually Saul uh, returns to a place called Tarsus. This was his hometown uh, up here uh, right, uh, right at the, uh, beyond uh, the area of Samaria. So we're in Antioch uh, in chapter 11, and let me show you what, what's happening here. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people again there in Antioch. Uh, The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So next time you're playing Bible Trivia. Okay, here's the answer. Where were they first called Christians? In Antioch, okay? Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and spoke through the Spirit, predicting a famine that was going to spread over the entire world. The disciples, each one was as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea, This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, it'd be really easy to miss the significance of this, and I want to make sure you you catch it. So again, what's the big controversy in the church right now? It's Jewish Christians trying to figure out if there's room in this church for Gentile Christians. And here in Acts chapter 11, we have a church filled with Gentile Christians who know about this controversy— who understand that there are others who are talking about them and trying to figure out, hey, does God even really want you in this thing? But they also hear that those same people are in need. And so the Gentile Christians, the one who the Jewish Christians were thinking, oh, I'm not even sure they're supposed to be here. They make a decision to say, well, we're going to take resources that we have, and we're going to send them to Jerusalem to take care of, of the Christians, the Christian community there in Jerusalem. Now turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, going back to the map, we're in Ephesus, okay, so we've, uh, the, the, the story has been shared all the way over here to Ephesus. Uh, we're with Paul, Saul was renamed as Paul. Paul, after spending a significant amount of time in Ephesus, is about to leave this community of faith and travel all the way back here to Jerusalem. He is sharing a final goodbye with them, understanding or expecting that he'll never be back. He's never going to come back to this community of faith. It's an emotional moment, and listen to what Paul shares with them. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, Paul says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So so hear what Paul says here. He's saying goodbye to men and women, uh, people who have devoted themselves to Jesus and he's shared life with them. He's invested in them. He's poured into them. And as a final reminder, he wants them to, he, he wants them to know, wants to remind them, And everything that I've done for you, here's what I've tried to do. I've simply tried to be for you, to act for you, to do what Jesus would have done, to, to follow his example, to emulate him as best that I can, remembering always these words, what Jesus said is, "...more blessed to give than to receive." So if you're brand new, we don't often go through four different passages over the course of one book of the Bible, but I want, again, I want you to see the biblical perspective. This is how we see this value being lived out in this first community, the first followers of Jesus, not only in Jerusalem, but we saw it in Antioch, we see it in Ephesus, we see it all throughout, everywhere that the word is being spread, this is how the individuals who have said yes to Jesus, this is how they are behaving. This is what they are doing. This is, the, this is the example that they are following. The example of Jesus that says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, living like Jesus means living generously. Now here is, here's the question. And here's what you may be thinking, you you may have noticed, I don't know, you may have noticed that the world today is a little different than the world of first century Israel and Samaria, Judea, uh, the area of of the Roman world in in, uh, 2,000 years ago. Have you noticed that there are a few things different about the world? I mean, Just a few, right? Just a few things different. And so it's appropriate that — it's not a bad question for you to ask to say, well, but is this a value that we should still value today? Is it, in other words, is this something, when, when we look here in the first century, when we look at the first church, you know, maybe, maybe the reason we see generosity so clearly is because of how vulnerable this group was. And there's probably some truth to that, right? I mean, there's no one else that's supporting them. They're, they're a small group of people. They're trying to survive. This is the first generation of those who have said yes to Jesus. And so we might ask, is this a value that we still value today? And if it is, if we believe that, the question is why? Why do we believe this is a value that we should still value it? Why do we believe that generosity is is still something that we should talk about and seek to emulate in our lives if we want to be committed, deeply committed, fully devoted followers of Jesus? What's the connection between the practice of generosity and what we're seeking to do as believers, as followers of Jesus. And so I want to show this to you. I want to show you how we think about this and how the Scriptures speak and teach us in this regard. If you've been here for a while, you probably know what our mission is. I hope you know what our mission is because you hear about it all the time. We're about making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world. And our goal is that everything that we do, it flows from that mission of making disciples of Jesus who love God, love others, and serve the world. And though I may not often articulate it this way to you, part of what I realize as a pastor and as a leader of a organization that has this mission is that there are some adversaries that we face in fulfilling this this vision. There's some enemies, if you will, Some things that we work against as we seek to make disciples of Jesus. And and here's just three uh, that I would uh, uh, share with you. that There is the adversary of ignorance, the adversary of isolation, and the adversary of idolatry. Ignorance is the absence of knowledge. It's the things that you don't know that you don't know. It is the ignorance of God, God's heart and God's character, but also the ignorance of ourselves, humanity, the the idea that we've been created in the image of God, that God might in fact have a plan for our lives. Ignorance is not the result of willful action, and yet what we believe is damage is still caused because of the ignorance that we might have or others might have about what we understand to be the truth. And so we seek to convey that, to teach that, to to help people grow in understanding and knowledge uh, so that they can diminish whatever ignorance or lack of knowledge that they might have in their life. Isolation is an enemy that we seek to work against the isolation that may be caused by broken relationship or the isolation that's simply caused by the pace of the lives that we live today. We wanna work against isolation, bringing people into healthy, life-giving relationships. And idolatry, what is idolatry? Well, that's a really big word. They talk about it a lot in the Old Testament. It's always bad, people get you know, uh, yelled at for doing things like idolatry. What, what, is, what does that mean? Here, here's what idolatry is. Idolatry is our worship of something that is less than God, hoping that it will give to us what only God can give. That's what idolatry is. It is worshiping something that is less than God and worshiping it in the hopes that it will give what only God can give. It's an incredibly frustrating way to live. And many of us have experienced that frustration, the frustration of idolatry, the frustration of serving something with the hope that it will give us what it cannot give, whether that is a relationship or a way of life or a goal that we are pursuing in our life. These are the enemies that we seek to work against. And the way that we work against them, this may be helpful in thinking through for you what we do together, this is is in fact how we work against these three enemies. We work against ignorance by seeking to grow in our love for God. Because knowledge of God, we believe, leads to a deeper love of God. When we lack understanding about God's heart and God's character, who God really is, the extent to which we can help people see a more clearer picture of who God is, it it helps them grow in a deeper love of God. In in loving others, again, we're seeking to work against isolation. When we talk about serving the world, when we talk about blessing and giving and and all those things that we do to bring hope and restoration for people uh, in our world, part of what we're doing is we are fighting back against a culture that teaches us to worship everything other than God, hoping that those things might give us what only God can give. The easiest way to waste your life, make it all about you. That's idolatry. And so in each of these areas, what are we doing? We are seeking to fight back against the enemies of our hearts, the enemies of our souls, and I want you to see how generosity is a part of each and every one of these areas. Generosity, here's how I would encourage you to think about it, generosity is a catalyst for growth and it's a catalyst for life change. It's like pouring gasoline on whatever spark may have been lit in your life by the love and grace of God. It's a catalyst, it it is an explosive practice that transforms your life in the areas of loving God, loving others, and serving the world, fighting back against the ignorance, the isolation, the idolatry that grows within our hearts and within our souls. Now, when I say catalyst for life change, please don't hear me saying that generosity will help you get a bigger boat, okay? That's not what we're talking about. If you hear someone saying something like that, that is a perversion of what generosity is and what its function is in your life. When you're generous, you are connecting with the heart of God. When you sacrifice for others— you are being drawn closer to them and the needs that they have in their life. When you empty yourself, when you give to others, you are actually working against the false ideas that may be already present in your life about what really matters in life. Not about what you can build for yourself, but how you can actually give yourself away. It's a way of connecting with, this upside down way of living that Jesus talked about. The one who came and who shared this audacious, crazy idea that it's actually more blessing, it's it's a bigger blessing in their life to give rather than to receive. Let me tell you a story that may illustrate that for you. Uh, And I wanna begin by showing you a picture um, uh, we in our family we have a tradition uh, we started. I don't think anybody else does it, but it's something that we do. It's just it's just you know it's really personal to us. We on the first day of school like to take pictures of our kids. Um, again, nobody else does this, but this is what we do in our house. We 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 make them you know get dressed up and, and smile before they head off to their first day of school and take their picture. Uh, so these are these are our two kids, uh, 13 and 9, and, and and I'm I'm like you if you're a parent in that you know you see a picture like this and you're like well what happened. Like, they were just so young, and, and how, how did they get to this point? So every once in a while, it's, you know, it's fun to go back and, and look at a picture like this, right? To go back and, and see, oh, this is the younger days. This is the very different days when they weren't 13 and 9, but, you know, a newborn and, and a, a big sister for the first time. You see there that uh, in the first year of his life, uh, my son Jack uh, wore one of these helmets. Uh, You've probably seen these on other kids. Uh, Maybe your child had to go through that process. That was something we found out uh, uh, four or five months, I think, uh, into his life. The doctor said, hey, this is something that you all should really think about doing. It's uh, I want to really encourage you to do it. And so we went and researched it and did what we had to do and figured out all the things that it would mean for our life, and uh, driving to Dallas, and here's, you know, how long and all those kinds of things and also of course as a parent you also think about well how much is this going to cost cuz you just had a baby and there's lots of other things that are involved with having a baby and lots of things you need to have and there's expenses and 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 you know this was one we didn't expect it was a little bit higher than we expected it to be and so as dad who kind of takes care of the finances I'm kind of thinking like well you know he's fine whatever you know we cuz this is a, this is this is a little stressful you know thinking about what we're going to do to how we're going to make this work and and it was something that I was, I was uh, worried about. And I remember leaving that first appointment. And I'm just, you know, we're, we're, we're in the car. And my first kind of comment as dad thinking rather than feeling was like, we don't, you know, this is too expensive. I don't know. And, and then I look over, my wife's just bawling. It's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to figure this out, right? Because that's what you do. Because it's your child. And you're just going to figure it out. And we were just going to figure it out. And then uh, I was at work one day. Pastor Mike came down to my office, uh, our senior pastor at the time, and he said, hey, can you come down to my office? I'm going to talk to you for a second. I'm like, oh, oh what do I do? Ooh. And he sat me down and he, he was asking about this and, you know, what have you all done and you've been to the doctor and, yeah, and, um, you know, he just kind of, what are you all going to do? And I said, we're going we're to we're figure out how to make it work. He said, well, that's good. He said, I want to give you something. He said, it's not for me, but it's from someone who wants to give it to you. And he handed me an envelope of cash. It's one of those moments where you're like, am I in the church or am I in the mob? It's really weird. You know, it's just an envelope of cash. And he said, there's someone in our church who knows that you have a need, and, and, and they just want to take away any of the stress or the worry that you have about this need they want to take care of this for you and i don't know if you've ever had an experience like that in your life but words don't work anymore like they don't form into sentences when you're you know just in that moment of just total over you, i i i don't know what what oh what i don't know what to say i don't know what to do i and and in the midst of this stuttering response that i offered this is what Mike said. He, said. he said, David, this is the first half of the gift. This is the first half. And so if you're, if, if you're trying to figure out what do you do in response to this, what I want you to think about is that the second half of the gift is what you will receive Every single time you are able to do for someone else what someone else today is doing for you. And he was right. Because that's what generosity is. When you give of yourself, it's actually not something that you started. It's something that God started you are actually responding to having received the first half of the gift. And the action, the practice of being generous is a chance to receive the second half as you do for someone else what someone else has done for you. And I don't know of anything else in my own life or that I have seen in the lives of others that most clearly plants that truth in our lives more than the act of giving ourselves and our resources away. Helping us understand that we are responding to what God has already done, and we are simply doing for another what someone else and what God has already done for us. And that's why living like Jesus means living generously. Because when you do, you're connecting to the heart of God. You are doing something that God loves doing for you more than anything else in your your life. Acting generously, serving and sacrificing. Helping you understand who God really is, drawing you closer in relationship to God and closer in relationship to others. And also reminding you that that's really what life is about. It's about giving your life away. And so whenever that next opportunity is for you to be generous, what I want to challenge you to think about is that isn't something that you are starting in your life It is a response to what God has already done in your life. That's why it's so powerful. It's why it's so transforming. It's why it's a catalyst for growth. Because it's actually the second part of the gift. When you get to do for someone else what God has already done for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to remember today the experiences of our lives where we have been speechless, the experiences of our lives, Lord, where we have felt overwhelmed by the generosity of others, or Lord, those moments in life where we have been overwhelmed by the generosity from you when we, Lord, have an experience of your grace, when we, Lord, have a moment where we uh, have a deeper understanding of that in our life. And Lord, today would you remind us and help us to see the connection between those moments when we are in awe and struggling to find words And those moments, Lord, where we feel nothing but honor to be able to do for someone else what you have already done for us. Teach us, Lord, and help us to fight back against a world that would teach us to live differently, to live a life that's all about ourselves and not about one another. For Lord, we want to live your life and follow your way to help us live like you and to live generously. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.